Hello, everyone. Welcome to the premiere of Weaving Myths Season 2. Weaving Myths is a podcast focused on tabletop role-playing games, and specifically, playing them through the play-by-post format. I'm your host, Nathan, and joining me today are Ruben. That's me. And Mordai. Good evening. We are all moderators on Mythweavers, a play-by-post gaming website, and we're here to help bring your game to the next level. If you're not familiar with Mythweavers, you can find it at myth-weavers.com. As always, we are joined by the impeccable text chat, which members of Mythweavers are using right now to ask questions and contribute to the discussion. If you, too, would like to be part of the impeccable text chat, feel free to join us on the Mythweavers Discord server every other Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Today, we'll be covering Game Rescue, which we'll be talking about over the next hour or hour and a half or so. At the end, we'll open the floor to a live Q&A session from the text chat, where anyone can ask us anything, be it about Mythweavers, gaming, or anything else they want to know. So, I know this topic has been very highly requested. Like, it's probably the number one thing we ask people to talk about, or that, that people have asked us to talk about. They want us to talk about what happens if my game on Mythweavers dies, stalls, like, what if I lose a player? How do we fix it? Um, so, wow, Ru- really? yeah, this is like the number one thing people want us to talk about. Huh. Yeah. Well, really, our goal should be to never get to the point of dying in the first place. So a lot of what Ruben and Nathan and I are going to talk about today is not just rescuing the game, but preemptively rescuing a game, recognizing the signs and symptoms and how to make it fit back together in a way that gets the momentum going and gets back into having fun and playing the game. Cause that's what it's all about. Really? Right? Yeah, absolutely. Like we want to get, we want games to live. We don't want to run out of game. Like that's part of the reason we're on myth weavers. We want to be able to game basically indefinitely. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's totally the goal. And I've had some really long-running games. My longest-running game is closing in on nine years now, and I joined a game just last year that uh, this week celebrated its 10th anniversary. So it has been done, it can be done, and we're here to help you get your games to that point, too. Yeah, I think my longest was nine years for Claremont Academy, and I just started the sequel to it. So, And I would like to... Before we really get into it, I, w- I do want to point out, it's not exactly easy to get a game to live that long, but hopefully over the course of this episode, we can kind of give a bunch of tips and tricks and like resources that you can use to make your games last longer. All right. Uh, anyway, well, I think, uh, I mean, to start, I think you can do to stop a game from stalling out is to kind of stop a few problems before they start. And one of the things I've seen that need to rescue actually begin before the game starts, and that's a character concept you've seen that is almost but not quite there. It's got some sort of trouble to it. And there's a kind of a a couple things you need to do when you kind of come up with that. Yeah, I mean, no character is ever going to come in, shall we say, flawless. I mean, that's, that's almost a flaw in itself. Uh, everyone wants to have something unique, something quirky, something different about their character, uh, which makes it interesting or playable or, or exciting. Uh, but sometimes that can be taken to uh, to an extreme that just doesn't quite fit the game. So when you're picking characters at the beginning, you really need to consider what is it about the character that draws you to it, that you like, that you want to bring to your game. Um, 
it could be a game mechanic, maybe, or it could be a particular aspect of their background story, or you just like how the player plays out characters in previous games and you want that energy or enthusiasm. Um, but that's, that's kind of a good baseline to know why you picked the character or the player in the first place, uh, because that's going to color your perception on um, how you deal with the problem area. Right. So once you've kind of identified what the what kind of what's good, then you have to figure out okay, what's the problem? So maybe the subject, maybe the concept is really really good, but the mechanics are pretty bad. I mean, maybe I've been my friend Bob to play in my Pathfinder game. Bob's a great Fate player. And he's got a great concept, but Bob really doesn't know about uh, Pathfinder at all, and so he's got this horrible monstrous multi-classed monstrosity. Uh, or maybe it's the opposite problem. Maybe my friend Fred, Fred loves Pathfinder. Fred knows all the mechanics, but his concept is literally, I am fighter. I fight. Just kind of hone in on what the actual problem is. Uh, the goal here is not to say, this character is bad. To say, this part is good, this part needs work. Uh, work. Whenever you give criticism about anything, you have to make sure that whoever you're criticizing knows about the good as well as the bad. Like, you you don't want to start with, well, this character's terrible and this is why. You want to start with, hey, I really liked this about your character. And this is something you can do to make the character even better. You want to present it in a way that you're not, like, directly criticizing whoever it is you're talking to. You want to make sure that it's a constructive discussion that actually makes the character better. I mean, a lot of this is human resources 101. They're not your employee, you're not their boss, but it is an evaluation of sorts, and it's a way of structuring it to make the person that you're giving the feedback to receptive to the idea that you're trying to work with them, you're trying to make it better. If you just lead off with the, you're an idiot, you suck, why can't you do this, they're going to walk away at best, and at worst, they're going to start a flame war that's going to get one or both of you infracted on the site. So uh, we don't want anyone to have to go there. Yeah, well, and really, as humans, we're hardwired. Like, we are much more receptive to someone if they think we like them. And the surest way to show somebody, like, oh, I like what you're doing, is to tell them what's good first. And once you've sort of established that sort of basic rapport and you've decided, kind of told them, okay, this is what I like, Here's what needs work. And try to kind of get very specific with the problem, or at least as specific as you can. Uh, if it's a mechanical problem, point out like, okay, yeah, you could really multi-class barbarian and wizard, but I'm not sure that's going to work like you think it will. And yeah, I mean, if the problem is with the concept, like, yeah, I really like, really like your paladin here, but this is a cyberpunk game, and I'm not sure a paladin is going to fit there. Just try to kind of point out what the problem is, a specific, in a kind of a specific way, and kind of focus it down like, this is the problem with the character, it is not with you, this is the thing we have to change. And a, a frequent one that I see is um, characters or players that will pick an attribute of their character to try and fit at the edges of whatever established setting that you have. If you have a setting where demi-humans are kind of looked down upon and uh, you know shunned, they'll pick the demi-human so that they can have, I don't know, 
that level of angst in the background. Um, you know, something, something that, uh, gives them a, a darker brooding edge. Um, but that just ends up being, they feel like they're mistreated or left out when the other characters who are part of whatever the majority is rightly play out some of those biases that are inherent in the setting. So there's pluses and minuses to being on that edge. And you really need to make sure that the player recognizes what they're getting into when they, when they jump down that rabbit hole. Right. Sorry, I had a train of thought and I just went, woo. That's okay. I think I got you. So once you've identified what exactly is wrong, you have to be very specific when you tell the player, look, I don't think this is going to work. You want to, you want to say, I don't think this is going to work and I think you should replace it with this. Um, you want to make sure that you provide a solution. You don't want to come off as, hey, you need to change that, and I'm not going to tell you how to fix it. You want to say, I, I think you should change it to this, and this is why, and this is how it will make your character better. Um, this back and forth between the DM and the character, can it can take a lot of time, but it often makes both players form a bond with one another that you you want to have to have a strong game that lasts a while. And this constant feedback loop works on itself to get stronger over time to eventually the point where um, everybody's having a good time and feels very comfortable being able to approach one another and say, hey, I think we should do this instead, and this is why. Yeah, I, I mean, I've got a couple of players I play with all the time now that we probably started out, they had a character I wasn't really sold on, but the more we worked with each other, the better we got along. And it's important when you're doing this that you really listen to the player. I mean, if a choice looks weird at first, they might actually have a reason for it. And if they give you a solid reason for it, maybe consider the fact that, oh, well, maybe I was wrong. Right. Having a common understanding of the, the problem, I think, helps that tremendously because what you're viewing as an issue, they may not view as an issue or vice versa. You may think that everything is going along great and they're sitting there stewing because something's just not right and they can't put their finger on it. Even if you don't know what the problem is, sometimes it's just good to open up the line of communication with, Hey, I sense that you're not, you know, you're not really digging it right now. Or, um, you know, I'm feeling like there's something just not clicking here. Do you feel that too? Just get on the same page, have that consensus. And sometimes that consensus is, well, maybe we're not the right fit for each other. Which is totally fine. I mean, there are a lot of gamers out there. There are a lot of games. Not everyone is going to be a good fit for everything. I personally am not a big fan of horror-style games, and so I tend to steer clear of those. But for a couple of times, I didn't really know that. And it took some conversation with the DM to kind of figure that out about myself. Yep. And once you get there, you gotta, you gotta be firm, say, okay, well, this, this just isn't gonna work. You know, we've had fun before. I'm sure we'll have great games together again some other time. Let's let's just agree to mutually part ways and uh, and uh, keep on having fun on the weave. There's no point in uh, burning bridges or uh, slamming the door on your way out. There's you know that sort of childish thing just creates hard feelings and it's not gonna not gonna lead to good games in the future. And for some of you, those of you who are a lot more like me, where I really try to like to please everyone. It's okay to say no. It's okay to tell someone that, hey, this isn't working. 
it doesn't make you a bad person. It just means you're trying to look out for the overall health of the game. Right. I mean, that's that's one of the biggest sins that we often see with game creation is, okay, yeah, you want to get the game started quickly, and you go first come, first serve. We'll just get players in, and we'll throw it together, and, and I'm sure we'll all, we'll all get along fine. Uh, that that tends to run afoul of so many of the, the suggestions we've given over the first season and now one episode. Uh, having rapport is far, far, far more important in the long run than just banging out and rolling some dice and, and killing some monsters. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like we covered that pretty good. What do you guys think? No, that was good. I actually do want to mention something real quick. I we we brought up the idea of being able to say no, and um, I actually wrote an entire article about like being a GM and like what you're supposed to do as a GM. And I think it's, I mean, it has quite a few views. It has it has twenty five thousand views apparently. Um, so just a, just a few views. Yeah. So humble brag a little bit, I guess. <laughs> but uh, but no really I I still stand by what I wrote in that article even though I wrote it almost 7 years ago at this point. Oh lordy, really? Yeah, and I didn't realize it was that long ago, but I did write it that long ago and it still stands true and I'll put the link here in the text chat for people. And a lot of the things that I say in the article are like what we just talked about. It's okay to say no to somebody. So I just wanted to throw that out there as a resource for people to look at if they're struggling with, well, what should I do as a GM in this situation? Yeah, I, re I remember sticking that article because it, it really is that good. It's worth a read if you haven't. So what do we do when a player drops out in the middle of a game? Well, first of all, you guys ever had this happen to you? Constantly. Oh yeah, I like I mentioned before the show started, I had three players drop out of my uh, fifth edition game over the course of the last two months. Ooh, I just had a player who had to drop out due to real life circumstances after coming back to the game for a year after having dropped out for three years previously. So life happens. We roll with it, and uh, yeah, the first thing to know is that just because you lose a character doesn't mean the game has to die. Yeah, the character may have been important to your plot. You may have had an idea as to exactly what you were going to do, and they were the star of the show, and you know, suddenly they turn up with a bad case of getting married, and I'm going to be gone for six months, and when I get back, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do because we're moving across the country, and new job, new life. Okay. What about Roll you, Colin? It. You ever had players drop from your game, Colin? I actually just had a player drop from the game. The standard life got busy. So right. I do want to throw this out there before we go too much further. On the flip side, as a player, you should never feel bad for doing that. Like, oh, Mythweavers is a website. It's nothing more than a website. It, I mean, sure, it, it puts a little bit of burden on the rest of the players and the GM, but you absolutely should never feel bad about saying, hey, you know, I think this game just isn't for me, or hey, real life is really busy right now, I think I need to drop out. That is not something that you should ever feel bad about. It is, uh, it's it's life. Like, life, real life always comes first. Mythweavers, as a website, will be there when you get back. It's not a big deal at all. And if you do have to drop out, 
and you think you have to drop out, especially if you're just thinking about it, let everybody know as soon as you think you might do, because then you can help everybody else write your own character out. And if you can do that, oh, that makes the rest of our advice a lot easier. Yeah, as I said, I had a, a player who had to drop out, and I put his character in a good stasis mode so that there was an opportunity for him to come back when life changed. So it's a lot easier to set it up that way than to have your character written out or taken over by someone else, and then you come back and like, oh, well, uh, I guess I can't go back to doing what I was doing before because someone else is doing it. Yeah, so let's assume that this hasn't happened, and you now have to find a replacement for a character who is now missing. Well, are they actually missing? How do you know? Well, that's the thing. You have to figure it out. Oh, <laughs> good uh, good segue. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, step one, find out if they're actually missing or if maybe they're just on vacation in the Adirondacks and can't get some internet access. I've, uh, yeah, not posting is a good sign. Thank you, Tiffany. Uh, but give them at least a week or two just to make sure it's not something like, oh, I don't know, your upstairs neighbor like busted a water pipe and now all your place is flooded. Uh, just make sure it's not a temporary life thing. So send out a couple of PMs, try to get in touch with the player. I mean, I personally don't consider a character truly abandoned until at least two weeks have gone by with absolutely no communication. Right. I'm going to reference back to a point we made in a previous episode, which is you really should, as a GM, have a ground rule for how you're going to handle the actions of characters when the players go absent. If you don't already have that in your game, go do it right away. Get it in place so that when you have a player disappear, you're already prepped to be able to put the plan in place. It's a lot harder to craft that plan on the fly because it's a lot harder to get the other players buy into whatever needs to be done if it's going to involve more work for them. It's a lot easier to upfront say, hey, if player A goes absent, um, can one of players B, C, D, or E jump in and you know just NPC their actions for a brief period of time until we determine what we can do with them? Don't let the game stall while you're waiting for that absent player. The other players will get frustrated, and they might just leave, and that will kill the game. Right. So I'm just going to jump in here real quick. Um, we have a late addition to the roster. Colin has joined us. Hello, Colin. Hello, everyone. I think they realized that when Ruben made sure to say, hey, Colin, what are your thoughts? So I thought I'd just take a moment and bring Colin officially into the show. Um, thanks for joining us. Not a problem. Chimi, I see that comment. I'll remember. <laughs> <laughs> Chimi, you're really living dangerously. That's two guys that you've uh, shaded already this evening. Yeah, I know. I'm oof. <laughs> so you figured out your player really is missing. You know, uh, maybe the life happened. They're gone. So next thing you got to do is you have to assess how critical was this character to the game? Was this kind of one of your more wallflower characters who didn't participate a lot? Or was this Sir Reginald the Bold who was leading the rebellion against evil, nasty, bad man? I mean, if you have a wallflower, it's a lot easier to kind of just quietly write the character out. Uh, if you've got somebody who's more plots or mechanical critical, now you kind of got to do a bit more work. And a lot of what we're going to focus on is talking about actually the mechanics of how to go about replacing that player or character. But as a GM, you should also have in the back of your mind, do I really need that additional body in the troop? Would it 
potentially be more effective is one of the reasons why people are dissatisfied that there's just not enough screen time because there's too many actors in the scene. Um, maybe a slight reduction would help. Also worth talking to the other players and getting their perspective on replacement before you go about it. Oh, yeah. Always make sure to loop in your players when you're doing something like this. Once the game starts, everyone owns the game and everyone, everyone should be included. The, uh, this is actually why when I recruit players, I tend to recruit one more than I think I'll actually need to act as kind of a buffer. I think that's a good rule of thumb generally, regardless. I think for any one game, you can always expect maybe between one and three people to drop out within the first half year. And part of that's going to be that, you know, the game just didn't fit with their expectations or, um, they misassessed their, uh, available free time and, or their free time situation changed. You know, all, they're all reasonable reasons. None of it should be taken as, oh, you're a bad GM or this game sucks. It's just a matter of course. So plan for it. Don't be surprised by it. Oh, yeah. I mean, no fault here. And when you do lose a player, sometimes you just gotta turn them into an NPC. If nobody's willing to jump in and take over the character, um, sometimes you just gotta make them an NPC until you find a good way to phase that character out. I'm actually doing this right now with my Starfinder game. I have taken very, very loose control of a player character who had to drop out and... I'm basically, it's not like they're actively participating in the game. It's more like that character is now, hey, whatever you guys want to do, I'm totally cool with it. Yeah, I think if you do have to NBC a character, you have to, they become a bit more passive. And another good rule of thumb, I never try to kill off a character that doesn't have its controller behind the screen. That's kind of poor form. Most commonly, I think it's easier to just say, hey, you turn around in the crowd and that character isn't there anymore. I wonder where they went. We'll never know. You gotta be careful. Sometimes your players will then dedicate their lives to hunting down their missing comrade. <laughs> well, hey, now you have at least a month's worth of plot that you can use to buy time to either find a replacement player or hope the other player comes back. I have actually had, though, players that have to step away because of life request that their character does die. Oh, yeah. No, if that happens, totally honor that. And make it awesome. Oh, yeah. I've, I've helped them create some suitably grisly deaths. This was a tabletop one, but one of our uh, players who was playing the big bad fighter um, oh. had to uh, uh, step away for six months' worth of training, uh, so he wasn't going to be able to play with us. And uh, we were being chased by some sort of demon in a cavern, and uh, he turned around as we were nearing the escape and just about to be caught by this thing and says, I'll pin him here, go on. And it goes into a grapple. This is D&D 3.5. This grapple with this huge thing and actually rolls a natural 20 on the first round and pins the thing, giving us a round to escape and have the mage drop an earthquake to uh, collapse the tunnel and bury them both. It was awesome. That's epic. And if you do have to NPC the guy, you as GM don't necessarily have to do it. Maybe maybe the player who's missing had a pretty good friend that's also in the game. Maybe ask them to take over. Maybe you just have a player who's really on the ball and knows the mechanics well and doesn't mind playing two characters for a while. You can always kind of let another player take over for a while as well if you need it. I actually had to do that. Uh, I'm in a great 5e game, 
And one of the players playing the mage just dropped out, and so I kind of NPC'd the mage in addition to my bard for a while, just because I was the guy at the table who knew the mechanics the best. And that cor- that sort of temporary gig assignment can actually be energizing for people. So they know, hey, I've got a defined endpoint here where I can I can uh, run around and just have fun and not have to worry about the the long term implications. Um, now that's not to say just trash the character and you know, totally run rush out over the plot, but um, you've got the opportunity to uh, play it to the hilt with no consequences. Oh man, I found it so invigorating. It actually really got me to think about how to write different spellcasters. Can't say I've ever had that problem. Oh, when I write magic, I really like to kind of actually describe what it looks like and what a spell looks like when it's being created. So it was a good exercise for me. Now, a problem I have had is if a character that drops out is critical to the plot, then you have to figure out which bits of the plot you can move to the remaining characters. So it's it's relatively easy if you NPC the character to keep the plot elements on that character, but if the character dies spectacularly or whatever, you got to find, find a different way to progress the plot without that character. Or likewise, oh my goodness, if there's a prophecy on that character who's disappeared, trying trying to rewrite that one out can be uh, can be a little pain. But it's all about interpretation, right? Sure. So it's obviously easier to do like if the plot elements haven't been, re- but once they're revealed, you gotta figure out like I mean, how the heck would you even retcon a prophecy in a tabletop game? Well, po- prophecies, well, if they're good, oh man, we gotta do a whole episode on prophecy. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, that one's I, gonna require some whiskey. Yeah, uh, <laughs> a good prophecy should be vague enough that, oh, the seer was mistaken, or something like that. Just tweak it, or, you know, find a way to fulfill the prophecy in a way that technically fulfills it, but doesn't actually advance the plot. Or, you know, I do like the style of prophecy that isn't, like, told to the players. Um, so my, uh, Colin can actually attest to this. The pond game I'm running right now, the prophecy, quote unquote, was actually a dream that was incredibly vague and, like, there wasn't a lot of detail. So that would be something that you could easily revisit and say, hey, you have another dream and it's different this time. Pond game. Pond game. What pond game are we playing? <laughs> Colin. <laughs> All right. Couldn't resist. You're killing me, well, man. <laughs> the the other the other common thing to do when you're dealing with prophecies is to is to write it so that the it's it's never a prophecy that says you are going to go do this. I'm going to put you personally on hippie vision quest mode. It it needs to be a descriptor, something that could potentially apply to maybe someone else. I think back to the D and D cartoon and oh, the uh, uh, child of the stargazer um, who you know, was uh, specifically identified as probably the, the bear of the prophecy. But it turns out that one of the player characters fathers was an astronomer. And so she qualified to fulfill the prophecy as well. Uh, and actually, if you have a prophecy with a missing player, you kind of have an easy out in that said player goes off to fulfill the prophecy or hey, yeah, Frodo or, and Samet. <laughs> or the prophecy was wrong in the first place. Right. I mean, yeah, plenty of outs. Oh, you you listen to that kook? Oh, I've read, oh, Jeth- Jethro the Baffled. 
Just for the baffled, his prophecies are never right. This is why I like that I have a name generator in my Dungeon Master screen. You, you don't let me come up with names on the fly. Batty McBadface is all I have to say. <laughs> I may have used that once or twice. Um, so, so if go ahead, Nate. Uh, nope, you go ahead. I was hoping you'd do what I was writing about there. Um, okay, so you've got a missing character at this point. The character's there, I should say. The player is missing, and you need a replacement. It's time to go figure out who or how you're going to um, put in place. Now, usually this is going to be character A leaves the party and character A prime joins in their place. Um, but it's also possible that uh, with some luck and uh, um, mutual understanding, you can get a player to take over the existing character. Um, and we'll touch on that as we go through uh, through these methods here. Yeah, if you do get a replacement player, oof, you got to be careful. So I hate to kind of go there. But if you find a replacement player to play the same character, that is, like, it's just asking for trouble. Like, the the original player could come back and say, hey, what the heck, that was my intellectual property. Why did you give it to that guy? Like, I, I gotta say, if you're gonna recruit a new player, just have them make a new character. Don't bother letting them take over the old I'm going to disagree hard with you there, Nathan. Um, I've had this work and work spectacularly. And to the issue of intellectual property, remember that, okay, yeah, they created the original concept, but the four or five or ten of you were crafting that concept together through the period of time that you played it. It's now shared ownership, just like Ruben said earlier. A good analogy I think of is a band. Okay, yeah, one of the band members wrote the song, but you all played it together. You all built it into what it became. And no one has exclusive rights over that anymore. All of the former Eagles went and played all of the Eagles song. Okay, maybe there were some lawsuits involved. But in general, <laughs> all all went and played each other's songs because they were part of the experience. They participated in the creative process. That should be allowed to go forward in the future. I will counter your point with, so maybe it's not intellectual property violation, but instead people just generally aren't comfortable setting, stepping into another character that they didn't, because they don't know it is. Right. It takes a, definitely a special kind of, uh, kind of player to take over a character like that. And you have some instances where a character is just so off the wall it's kind of hard to imagine anyone but the original player. Nathan has experience with that with Brill in the current Stars Without Number game I'm running. Oh, good lord. But could uh, you see anyone else managing to play that character? Well, I have this guy I know in real life that might be able to pull it off. Anyway, but <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, the, one, the one final thing I would say about that is I don't think I would replace a player if the previous player has died. Which, sadly, I've actually now had to deal with personally. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I'm I'm probably with you on that one. That one merits a spectacular, awesome death exit or uh, other epic way of going out of the game. Ascension or something like that? Yeah, it's... Yeah. And, yeah, I actually do want to... Oh, I have to find the username. Sorry. Yeah, no, uh, in one of the games I was playing, one of the players sadly passed away. And the player was a great player, and 
uh, they'll be missed. Uh, it was, uh, the user Falcon Loft was sadly died untimely and yeah, sorry to bring things down, but I wanted to kind of pay respects there. Nope, that's that's perfectly alright. Completely understand that. And that speaks to the the type of friendship and bonds that can be created even over even over a a play by text medium like uh, like the weave. Um, so if you've got a long term game running and you've got a friend who uh, you know you just haven't had the opportunity to game with, you know maybe reach out to them and see if they're available to come join the game. Um, you know that's that's an opportunity to. Uh, to take advantage of your contacts, if you will, if I'm going to borrow a Shadowrun reference, and, and uh, bring someone in without having to go through the long you know, new character advertisement, recruitment, evaluation, replacement. It will frequently get you someone who you can have some level of instant rapport with, um, which makes it easier to just drop them in. You've, you've got a bond, a trust. Yeah, it's uh, that's actually always my first move now, but... I realize a lot of listeners might not have that luxury, but when you do have that kind of list of contacts, always go to your friends first. It's also a lot less intrusive because you don't have to go through an ad or anything else. You can just kind of pull the player and say, hey, we're missing a wizard. Could you make some sort of a spellcaster or replace them? And knowing the people on Mythweavers, they're always dying for more games. So finding someone to jump into that spot, not going to be all that difficult. For sure. And if you are new or you don't have a big kind of friends list, uh, well, it's time to do a recruitment ad, which is uh, a lot like doing a regular advertisement. Uh, what episode did we do those on? I know we went over advertisements. God, that must have been episode one or two. No, it was later because I was in that. Um, I hate to bring this up, but I just realized I just my extremely poor word choice there, and I'm sorry. I did not mean... To like that, it was a metaphor. I didn't mean to go there. I'm sorry. Truth be told, I didn't even notice. <clears throat> Me either. I think you're the only one that noticed, Nathan. Okay, well, I want to apologize anyway because that was an extremely poor taste, and I'm sorry. Uh, you're all right, buddy. Uh, well, if I go go back for a second before we jump into advertisement, even if you don't have a bunch of friends, maybe your players have friends who are looking for a game. And that's another bond that, you know, if you have two players who like to play with each other in a game setting, then, you know, that helps introduce them to the group in a way that's uh, less intrusive as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, and actually, if people don't know, the site does have a friends list feature. Uh, That's often a good way to kind of start adding players that you've played with before and you like. I know my friends list is quite extensive at this point. It's a good way of collectively stalking them, too, because if you go look at the buddy list, it'll show you the icons of everybody and see which ones are online and posting in your games. That's true. Jeez, I, I almost completely forgot about that feature. It's been so long since I've actually used it. Ah, uh, way to go, admin. Way to go. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I actually, I still use it. Uh, so, you haven't gotten a thing from your friends. You still need a new player. Time to put out a recruitment ad. Uh, it's pretty much like doing a regular game ad, only you need to be a lot more clear that this is for a replacement character. You need to detail the character that's being replaced, and then the rest of the party, so whoever's applying kind of knows what niche they have to fit. And then you probably ask the applicants to kind of make characters that will fill in, or if you want, to take over the existing character. And if the replacement character has to have plot elements included... 
like, oh, you're the target of the prophecy of Eager Bob, the magician. Uh, yeah, include that as well. It's just like any other game ad, really. Like, you want to give them as much information as possible so they can make informed decisions about whether the game is for them and if they will be a good fit for them. make their character fit the game. Like, it, it, it's basically the same as recruiting for a brand new. Yeah, pretty much. Different information included. Right. And sometimes you don't have a specific niche that you want to fill. Uh, you can explain the niche that was previously filled and, you know, what the other characters like. What the other characters like, I think, is almost as important as what the characters that you're replacing is because you want to know how they're going to interact with the rest of the party. Uh, it's a good opportunity, a good choice to go bring in your players as well to kind of introduce themselves in the recruitment thread um, start developing that uh, line of communication early and, and get their feel for, is this applicant going to be someone who I can play off of, make a, make a good game with? Oh, yeah, you absolutely cannot keep your players out of this process. And it doesn't have to be a public input either. I mean, if the players are worried that the uh, applicants are going to see what's being said, you can make a private thread. You can make multiple private threads. You can use voting buttons. You can do whatever you want. You can use PMs. There are ways to uh, to keep the evaluation process private and let the players, the existing players, you know, submit their honest feelings. Oh, yeah. So you've, you've done recruitment. You have your replacement play, uh, character. Uh, how are we going to introduce them? Personally, I'm a big fan of in battle. Ah, yes. Good old heat of the moment. Tell me more. Like, you know, knowing my players, heat of battles likely to get the new person killed by the party. <laughs> On the flip side, <laughs> if the players are losing and the new player joins in and turns the tide of battle, that's a great way to build rapport between your players. Yeah, nothing, nothing builds a bond like shared adversity. Dude, you saved my life. Now I'm going to hug you in a big, manly, sweaty hug of manliness. Actually, you know, that's totally how the GM introduced uh, Han to Chewie. <laughs> so what if you can't use combat as a uh, bonding experience? I mean, maybe it would. anything that would tie people together normally. I mean, maybe they're, this, they're members of the same club, or maybe they're, uh, maybe there's a secret society or something that joins them together, and they're like, oh, yeah, that guy, I know that guy. Or, um... Dude, you remember the Earth Defense League 2? That was awesome. Were you there when Dr. Gigano tried to take over New York? Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. I but think I need to get the bourbon. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it's time to pawn it off on the players again too. It's better if the players come up with those hooks because that will invest them in making them come to fruition. Oh yeah, for sure. It, you gotta have the players on board. I mean, there's there's almost an infinite number of ways to tie characters together. I mean, they could they could be related. They could have family that's the same. They could be. I mean, you can use rope. <laughs> but once you've, I think I just bumped my mic. Sorry. Uh, but once yeah, you've, you might have bonded the characters together. It's time to write out the old character, which I hate to say this is probably the easiest part depending on what requests you've received or if they're incommunicado or whatever. But this is probably one of the easiest things to do. If it's in the middle of combat, you just kill them off. 
even if you don't kill them, you can incapacitate them in a way that will cause them to be in a hospital for a long period of time. Or wound them so they can't fight anymore. Or post-combat, have them decide this isn't the life for them and they're going to walk away. That too. Yeah, which musketeer was it that... Uh, Mordai, your audio just went haywire on my end. Yeah, me too. Digital garble. Oh, okay. Is this any better? Yeah. Good. So which musketeer was it uh, that went and cloistered himself uh, in a monastery after uh, one of their adventures? Oh, the, the ladies' man. Um, that would be Athos, then. Yeah, Athos. Hmm. Oh, yeah. But the Musketeer series on BBC was really good, by the way. <laughs> I burned out on it. Uh, stick to it to the end. Uh, okay, well, if it's not in combat, just try to write out the old character kind of as inobtrusively as you can. Like, I mean, if they're in the plot, oh, I have discovered that Baron Von McEvilface is plotting to destroy the village of Hamlet. I'm going to go and save them now. And to be fair, you really don't need to make this a huge deal. Like, it, unless, like, you're honoring the character or you're honoring the player, you really, you only need about, like, one, maybe two sentences. Like I said earlier, if if your characters are walking through a city and there's a lot of crowds around, all you really need to say is, oh, you look around and someone has disappeared into the crowd, and then you just leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, the only time I would go through any special... uh kind of situation is, like we said before, if a player dies, maybe give that character a better send-off. And work with your other players to try and suppress their character's natural curiosity to go investigate it. I mean, I know it's hard, but uh, you know, sometimes they, they just gotta retcon their better judgment and just let it go. Uh, because otherwise you can really completely send the game into a tailspin trying to figure out where'd A go and B's going to go after him, and no way C and D don't want to go after him, and it, it can get bad. So just have a gentleman's agreement among the players to say it's just better this way. Um, I will say that sometimes when someone says they're going to be leaving a game out of character, that people kind of tend to react to that, like, okay, the GM is going to write out this character. We don't really need to worry about them anymore. At least that's been ex my experience recently. Could have been different in the past, but generally speaking, people have been kind of like, okay, this character's gone, we don't need to worry about them any. Okay, so, um, do we have anything we want to add before we move on to the next, like, subtopic? I think that was pretty thorough. Alright, so, on the flip side of the argument, what do we do when a GM goes missing? Well, just like players, is the GM really missing? Send out your PMs. You know, maybe go to his profile page, see if he's logging in or not. Mostly at, do you... Oh, go ahead, Colin. I was just going to toss in at mentions on Discord if they're on the Discord. Oh, that's really good, too. Although I don't think I've ever had a GM go missing that was also on Discord. I think we skipped over this point a little bit uh, when we when we were discussing players going missing, but it's, it's good to see if they're posting in other games, because if it's... If it's just your game, that's a different can of worms than if it's uh, um, your game and everywhere else on the Weave at the same time. That's true with yeah. GMs as well. Like, if they're posting in other games but not your game, it's kind of time to maybe prod them a little bit and say, Hey, my game needs some attention and love. Please come back. Right. Um, and when you try to do this, if it's a group of players, maybe try to elect one of your players as, like, the spokesman. 
So the GM's not getting flooded with like 40 different PMs. That can be a little daunting and drive people away. Yeah, one other thing I'll add to that real quick is if you're going to PM a game master, be nice and be supportive. Like, don't be resentful about it. Like, there have been games I've been in in the past where I've struggled to keep up with the game as a GM, and one of the biggest things that makes me come back is when my players show support and they say, hey... I really like this game. I really like what what's going on. Please come back. Like, what can we do to be supportive? Like, that is way more likely to get me to come back to a game than someone says, hey, you abandoned this game. Why did you abandon our game? Hey, Nate, I really love our leverage game. <laughs> I know. I know. that I, It's on the agenda, I promise. But he's got this other thing that he's doing that's so much sexier. I know dragging posts out of Nathan can just be a nightmare. Well, okay, to be fair, to be fair, we just came out of the holidays. Things were kind of crazy. I love you, buddy. Take your time. (laughs) But yes, I am, I do plan on posting in Leverage this weekend. See, it's just that easy. Problem solved. I love how it turned into a dog pile on Nathan. (laughs) So. Channeling Shimi. (laughs) So. We figured out the GM's actually gone. They're not coming back. What are we going to do? I think that is a topic for Mordai. Oh, just because my name is on a thread somewhere in the GM workshop, you think that, okay, fine, I will. (laughs) I'll twist your arm if I have to. Maybe stroke your ego a little bit. All right, so you've got multiple ways of going about this, um, but... Goal one should be to keep the game going as quickly as possible, and that can frequently happen by one of the players who's perhaps a GM in in other circumstances saying, hey, I'll take over for right now, possibly permanently, but at least just for right now, just so that we can keep the momentum going, because keeping the momentum going is half the battle. So you've got pluses and minuses of that. On the plus side, yes, the momentum is going. On the minus side, that player is now not focused on their character so much more as focused on everybody's character. So there are some steps to take that will help keep you running the game smoothly without running into some of the other pitfalls that we've discussed uh, in earlier episodes. So first of all, who's going to pick it? Um, as I said, if it's someone who's got previous DM experience, that's a great uh, way to uh, bring that experience to bear in a, a perhaps a new setting, it's a new challenge for them. Maybe it's something they're really interested in, they just never had a chance to run it. I will say for myself that there are several games that I've played in and ended up taking over as the GM because I just really love the game concept and didn't want it to die. That's why I was playing it in the first place. Uh, if no one's willing to step up, obviously, then we're going to have to go to option two of finding a new GM. Uh, but maybe you got lucky, maybe you got that perfect person within the party who wants to take it over. So then what? Well, first, the player is taken over. Contact one of us administrators or moderators to get your permissions changed from player to GM. This is going to give you access to any hidden threads and secret information. Kind of like that uh, GM Rescue Society, Ruben? Yes! A lot like that. You could use that. You could also use site discussion, since this is simply a request for permission change. Um, the GM Rescue Society tends to be more for option two, which we'll discuss later. Of We don't have anyone to take over, but we're still really interested in having this game run, so please, 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 anybody come help. Uh, 
So the permissions change is actually pretty easy. And if the former GM is available and stepping down for life reasons, uh, they can actually do it themselves through the game uh, control panel, uh, or the, the game profile page uh, before uh, before leaving. They can transfer that permissions over. If they're not available, obviously st- any staff member can do it. So posting in site discussion is the fastest way of getting the attention of all the staff members. Sending a PM to one staff member could mean a week, two weeks, depending on where they are, what they're doing, and whether they noticed one PM among thousands. Yeah, I'll point out if you send it to me, I'll probably find it within 12 hours. I'm usually pretty good about checking my PMs as well, especially when it's stuff that I'm not, especially when it's stuff I'm not expecting, because if it's something I'm not prepared for, then I'm much more likely to be like, what the heck, why am I getting a PM about this? And I'll like go check it immediately. Or I guess check it out. Sorry, Mort. I was going to say, don't necessarily trust that just because the person is listed as active on the, uh, site just at that moment means that they're they're readily checking their PMs. They may have been uh, busily composing a post for the last three hours, and, and they're not really paying attention to anything else. Yeah, actually, particularly I've been active on the site since this podcast started, and you can be sure I'm not checking it. Uh, you can also use the Discord, obviously. Yeah, Discord is... I'm not sure how to describe it exactly, but it's very quickly becoming one of the best ways to get in touch with staff members. Yeah, no, I almost always have it running, so. And there's generally, even if, even if we are, aren't active, we're all getting pings, uh, whenever, uh, something gets, uh, directed to the at staff or at moderators. Um, so it's, it's pretty easy to drop in, even if we weren't, uh, right there at the moment. Bottom line, get in contact with us. We'll change your permissions. So once you've handled the permissions, it's, you gotta give the GM a little bit of time to kind of figure out where they're going with the game because they're taking over something that was someone else's uh, baby, for lack of a better term. So you have to give them a couple days probably to read over everything. If there's any notes left by the previous GM, they need to be able to look Uh, at those. Um, If so, you're lucky. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God, I just... I just thought what it'd be like for someone to take over one of my games. But once they, but you, you do need to have everybody working together. So especially in the situation where the previous GM did not leave any notes. Um, so the, the entire group is going to have to work together to say, okay, this is where we're at. This is where we need to go next. Or perhaps where do we want to go next? Uh, I lost my train of thought, but that's okay. Character no, motivations. I mean, a lot of those are not obvious just from having played with them because they're not going to necessarily just type out what makes them tick in a post so you can go read it during the flow of the game. But their private thread would be a good place to discuss, hey, what what interests you? What is going to drive this character forward in the future so that I know how to hook you? Yeah, that's... I mean, it basically comes back down again to... uh conversation and talking with the players just making sure what you all want to do together and if you're really stuck go snooping on the gm if they had other games on the weave maybe check those out maybe you can get a kind of an idea of what they were kind of doing yes and if uh if you see that there's a gm who's dropping out of multiple games or maybe started a game dropped out started another game dropped out let a staff member know because we can help now i would like to point out 
we will be more than happy to help, but if you're trying to get someone in trouble for that, that's not going to fly. We do All not right. we do not give infractions for people abandoning games. Like that's just not something we do. No. Yeah, I wasn't trying to uh to make it seem like we were going to be the uh the game abandonment police. It was more that um if there's multiple games out there that need rescue, you know, we can we can help find the ones that are flagged as private uh, that no one else would be able to see. Yep. So I uh I just wanted to I, I I know that's what you meant, Mordai. I just wanted to clarify for people listening because I have seen in Absolutely. the past I have seen in the past where people have come up and said, "Hey, my game got abandoned. This person should be banned from the site." And that's not what Oh yeah, yeah I love those PMs. Oh, those those super fun things? Yeah, those are great. I just forward them straight to Colin. Yeah, I was about to say that seems to be the uh standard is oh crap, someone's complaining. Send it to Colin. <laughs> it's in your it. job title. There's not a day that goes by where I scratch my head and go, Why did I tell Rodrigo I would do this? <laughs> oh yeah, well they they attracted me with bright shiny lights and oh you'll be special, they said. Oh, it'll be fun, they said. See, that's the terrifying thing. He didn't have to bait me. I volunteered. There's no accounting for that. Nope, nope. It's all my fault. And he won't let me escape. I tried that. <laughs> you fool. <laughs> uh, once you're on the island, you're a prisoner forever. That's fine. We got Chi and Sundrin and dragged in recently. That's how we do it. True. But hey, so, they have been great assets. I will say that. Oh, they've been great assets. All right. Well, okay. So you have a general idea of what the game was about. You're going to continue. You're the new GM. You're no longer a player. Uh, so what do you do now? Figure out a way to get your PC out. Um, it's awkward uh, to stick around as a GM PC, and there's there's so many bad things that can come of that that we had a whole large segment on an episode devoted to why not to do this, how to avoid doing this. It's just not good. Get the character written out somehow. Uh, fortunately, though, because you as a player are still there, you can determine how that happens. It can happen a lot more gracefully. Uh, just try not to abuse your new GM power and make your character end up as, oh, Fightor is now Fightor, god of all fighters. A lot of the things we talked about earlier also apply in this situation. Like, all the things we talked about, about how to write out a character, can also apply to how to write out your own character. Oh, yeah. Ah, the typing noises. <laughs> no. She pushed to talk as your friend. <laughs> it's not there's, there's you. No, it's not us, it's you. <laughs> there's no question about where that microphone is. <laughs> um alright, so you sent your old character off stage. Hopefully in a graceful and majestic manner. Uh, what do you do next? Do you need a replacement? If so, see above. <laughs> yeah, basically. Just go go back in the podcast about 20 minutes and listen to what we talked about, and then carry on. <laughs> uh, and like above, do you even need one? If you don't, fair play. Keep going. And I will note, so all you fine players are still around. Be respectful of the new guy who just took over. 
he just gave up being a player to become the GM, which likely quadrupled his workload. And he's doing this so the rest of you can keep playing. Be nice, be considerate, cut the guy some slack. Or girl. Definitely, especially like was mentioned earlier, give them time to figure things out before things move forward. This can be a great opportunity to put in one of those, what I call in my game, asynchronous role-playing threads, where the uh, characters can go off and have a good time and build character rapport and develop all those great relationships and, you know, maybe play out scenes that they wouldn't have had time to do earlier because they were more interested in advancing the plot. Oh, Not man. only is it good for the characters, but it's great for the, the GM to see that interaction as they're formulating their plans. I have had several of those in my Starfinder game, and every single one has been utterly fantastic. Yeah, a big fan of those two. So, All right, so, oh, so oh. if you don't have a player willing to step up and take over the game, at that point, you kind of need to go looking for a new GM. I will say, finding a GM is way harder than finding players. Like, astronomically more difficult than finding an actual, than finding players. Yeah, let's, let's, let's start with a couple of ground rules here. If not everyone in the game is invested in waiting out the process to find a replacement GM and move the game forward, just let it go. Because there is nothing worse than holding your hope out and having one firefly drop off on the right and another firefly drop on the left, and pretty soon it's like two of you who are hoping beyond hope that a GM shows up. And he does, but there's just not the critical mass to keep the game going. Um, so it's it takes a village. It takes the whole group saying, this is something that we really care about, even to the point that we're just going to roleplay our characters with no GM here. We're just going to keep things moving uh, it, until you find a GM because it's no guarantee that you just post a, we're looking for a GM and someone shows up in 24 hours and is the perfect person for you. Oh no, it's, yeah, you put it well. Just, you all have to be in it together and you all have to be really, really wanting it. But, hey, if they are, Mordai, I heard, I heard you're good at something like this. Well, I did put my name on it a few years ago. Um, uh, this was something that was near and dear to my heart, um, and honestly was prompted by one of those issues that we had with a player who or GM who is a serial abandoner came, made a game, ran it for a month, dropped it, started up a new game, ran it for a month, dropped it, started up a new advertisement, dropped it right before character selection. And that was where I came in because that was the Stargate game that I rescued. Um, and I just kept thinking there are so many great ideas out there. Why is it that, the players who are hungry for games uh, have to be stuck in purgatory of uh, GMs who who aren't responsive, uh, trying to tap into that enthusiasm. Um, so I created this thing I called the Rescue Society. It was part of this GM workshop, at the, which at the time wasn't even a public forum. It was just this, uh, this little thing we were running on the side where uh, people could sign up to get tips and tricks. Um, and so... We created the Rescue Society to just be kind of a loose collective for people who are out there fishing for good ideas that they could go latch onto and go run. Um, there's no membership badge. There's no world record for uh, how many games you rescued or how long you got them running. It's just really a starting place to find those GMs who 
see the enthusiasm of the players, find it contagious, and just want to grab it and run with it and see how see how long we can make it ride. And from just like a personal end, as a GM, this is one of the most rewarding things you can do. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, of the eight games that I'm currently GMing, three of them are rescue games. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, and the one thing that you're pretty much guaranteed to have if you're picking up a rescue game is you've got the players who are super invested in wanting to make it work. And that is a big part of the battle and just making a long-running game to begin with. You know, I've never actually rescued a game before, but I think I'm going to try and make that a priority the next time I'm interested in picking up a game. I'm going to see if I can jump in and pick something up from there. Oh, it's great. One of the longest-running games I had was actually a rescue, sort of. I was kind of like a dirt GM, and the head GM left, and I still stuck with it. It was an awesome game. Last for years. Now, oh, oh, I will say, if the GM Rescue Society doesn't work out for you, then your next best bet is to reach out to a GM of another game that you're in. Uh, this is not a guaranteed because a lot of GMs already have full plates, but if you do, they know that you're a player that is with one of their other games already. And they might be more willing to look at taking on a game that's been abandoned. Yeah, I've, hey, you might even try other players as well. I mean, who knows? And if neither of these approaches work out, so you have no other existing GMs who want to take over and the Rescue Society doesn't pan out, you can try writing an advertisement for a new GM, which is a lot like any other advertisement. Be specific about what you want. And also be clear, like, this is for a GM. Well, from a functionality perspective... GM requests need to go in game planning. Players can't make an advertisement thread per se because they don't have the right permissions. Game planning is the right place to put that because it's a lot like starting from scratch with players with an idea wanting to uh, find a GM to run it. And game planning is is partly there for fishing for new GMs for new games uh, with just a concept. You've got a lot more than just a concept. Put those details in, just like Ruben said. Make it obvious that you are starting from a much better position than just a hey vague notion of run some game like this no no we've got we've got characters we've already got a, a direction here's where we're looking to take it to the next level and while you don't have to take the first person who applies keep in mind beggars can't be choosers and all that i mean gms are a little rare on the ground most of the time so be kind of take what you can get I have definitely seen games in the Rescue Society that have gone through two or three replacement GMs before finding that right candidate. Um, sometimes, sometimes you've got to, to play with the person for a little bit to see if it's the right fit. And if it's not the right fit, we've already talked about, you know, that earlier in this episode. Gracefully walking away is not a negative thing. Just go back and, and, uh, you know, see if the well's, uh, not dry again this time. Now, for the actual person who takes over as the replacement GM, you the first thing you want to really do is take a bit of time to familiarize yourself with the new players and the game. So, like, you want to make sure that, like, you haven't chosen these players, but you still want to take the time to read all their characters, get to know them as players, read the backstory of the game so you get a feel for how the game is progressing and how the characters work together. You you always want to take a couple, probably at least two or three days, and read over the entire game to make sure 
you understand what is expected out of you. This almost goes without saying, but a lot of that can be done before you sign on the dotted line saying, yes, I'm going to rescue this. Take the opportunity to make sure that you understand what it is that you're, you're getting into before you, uh, before you take the job. And, and then once you do kind of join into the game and stuff, be upfront with your players like, Hey, things might change a little bit. Tone might shift and all you players be understanding of this. You just had a very kind soul rescue your game. Like work with them. Try to find a good middle ground. And, and that being upfront can even go in the negotiation, if you will, before you take over the game. When I took over the Stargate game, I said, Hey, I love the universe. I've, I read up all about it. I'm like halfway through rewatching all SG one episodes, but I don't own the Stargate RPG. Uh, and from what I've heard, it's kind of clunky. Um, and I don't think we necessarily need it. So I'm going to switch us to the window if you don't mind. And in general, the player said, yep, we don't mind because we really want to play this game. Um, and, and it's worked out fabulously. So, but you know, Having that conversation up front about changes in tone, changes in direction, changes in system will make it go a lot more smoothly once you get into it. But hey, once you have rescued the game, give yourself a pat on the back, maybe pop a beer. Uh, you've done a good thing. Yeah, there is a severe shortage of people who are willing to take over games that have been ab- abandoned. And even though I know I have never done this myself, I would still encourage every GM to try it at least once just because there's no shortage of games out there that need to be rescued. And again, these are players who are super invested in what they're doing. That's a great springboard into a long-running, tons-of-fun game. And it's a lot easier than kind of recruiting random people who and trying to throw a party together in a regular advertisement. They're already bonded. They're already moving in, in one direction. Capitalize on that. Okay, so... Do we have anything else before we move on? Um, I, I guess not. <laughs> well, okay, I, I'll explain. So we do have another, like, two and a half pages of notes here, but we're already going on an hour and a half for the show. And uh, I, I knew this was going to be a long episode just because of how detailed we need to get with some of these things. But probably the next episode will wrap up uh, this topic because there, there's just so much to talk about. Um, and I just don't want to keep people for too long. So we're going to finish up. This no, t- I, I totally get it, man. I'm just, I'm throwing shade. No, <laughs> it's all good. So I just want to explain to everybody that we're going to finish up this topic next time. Um, but for now, we kind of got to move on to other things. Uh, before we move this on to other things. Eight lets me write the notes. <laughs> all right. This week's game of the week isn't a game at all, actually. So we're speaking of things that constantly need new GMs. Um, this game actually is multiple games. So tonight we are shining a spotlight on the local Mythweavers chapter of the D&D 5th Edition Adventurers League. Organized by Poor Knight and with a multitude of GMs, the Adventurers League allows for DMs and players alike to find tables for their favorite D&D 5th edition adventures. The Adventurers League isn't just looking for players, it's also looking for GMs. If you're looking to join the 5th edition Adventurers League, this is the place for you. 
If you're not familiar with how Adventurer's League works, these games are official, ongoing campaigns sanctioned by Wizards of the Coast. You can bring almost any 5th edition character to any table and expect to begin playing almost immediately. Additionally, if you want, you can take that same character to anywhere that does Adventurer's League events and play that character, picking up right where you left off. If you've never given Adventurer's League a try, I would highly recommend it. There's something very satisfying about being able to take a character to a convention, local game store, or even back to Mythweavers and continue playing at any point. Oh, I have a couple of characters I use just for Adventurer's League conventions. And as always, I will put the link to that in the Discord chat, as well as, for those of you listening to the recording, that will be in the forum post when the episode goes live on SoundCloud. All right, and now it is time for everybody's favorite segment of the show, the question and answer segment. So you can ask us anything you want. It can be about topics we've already covered in past seasons or episodes. It can be about topics we've talked about tonight. It can be about future topics. It can be about Mythweavers. It can be about gaming. It can be about uh, Colin's love life. It can be about anything you want. I mean... I'm married, my wife is scarier than I am. I mean, there's not really much to tell there. <laughs> oh, and yes, of course, thank you, Maru. Um, Before I forget, the mandatory question, as always, is what's making us happy this week? So we will start with Colin. Well, my side business, which most of you have heard about, we are getting put in touch with some special forces groups, which means... Good marketing for us. That's awesome, man. Professional killer approved. <laughs> Does wonders for marketing, I'm telling you. All right, Mordai? Well, I have a pot of Baja-style pork chili that's brewing for our church's chili cook-off for the big game tomorrow that we can't mention by name due to copyright infringement lawsuits by a certain large organized organization. Um, but... The pork shoulder is just now coming off the smoker, and last I checked, it smelled amazing. Mm. Are you serious? We really can't talk about that thing that's tomorrow? You are not allowed to say the S word and the B word in conjunction with each other in any form without the express written consent of the National Football League. That is astounding and incredibly Wait, we annoying. We, we can't talk about the excellent ovoid? <laughs> But if you ever wondered why your grocery store never advertises using those words, there is a legal reason why. There you go. I put up oh, a, I, a relevant picture in chat for this part. I, I no, I like. I swear, I see Super Bowl. I see excellent ovoid at my supermarkets every year. That's okay. Well, I learned. I, I, I learned something today. That's crazy. <laughs> I'm flabbergasted. All right. Oh, wow. Today but I the learned. chili's going to be awesome. Uh, oh, man, I wish I could smell it. Smell-o-vision is coming soon. All right, uh, we'll go to Ruben. What's making you happy this week? Uh, so, years and years ago, in the ancient days, uh, I ran a very long game called Claremont Academy. It was a means of mastermind superhero game. All the characters were students at a high school. And I just started my sequel to that game. So it ran for like nine years. I put it on hiatus for a long time. And now I'm doing Claremont University. <laughs> and it looks, it's 
going to be awesome. Just started. It's great. Yes, and as she says, this time she is in it. <laughs> Everyone needs those charity players. <laughs> oh, shade. Dang. Colin one, Chi zero. Yeah, uh, we just kicked off. I kicked off like a day or two ago, and we're going like gangbusters. It's going to be a great game. I'm so happy. That's awesome. Speaking of games and what's making me happy this week, uh, my games are slowly recovering from the stall of the winter slash holidays. Um, I was exceptionally busy. Over the holiday season, so uh, my games have been feeling a little neglected. So the fact that things are finally getting kicked back off, uh, I guess pun intended, is pretty convenient. You mean the starship will get repaired by the mechanic? Uh, you know, what, Colin? <laughs> I heard that sigh. You know, <laughs> I am gonna get there. But hey, I, I did, I communicated to the rest of the team that all hey. we need to do is put some fuel in it and it'll work. I hope. Oh, I'm so I'm so excited for uh, leverage to keep coming back. Like I think between Nate and I, we have tried to get a leverage ray like up and running for how many iterations? At least five or six, if not more. You're just not picking the right players. I don't know. Actually, Nate, we both like swapped mastermind roles depending on who's running, haven't we? Yeah, basically. <laughs> I mean, the mastermind is t- more or less a second GM, so. Yeah, basically. Yeah, sounds like a good week. Oh, and Nate, I know you're happy because the Eagles are in the uh, excellent Ovoid. You know, I as a diehard Eagles fan, I am supremely happy that the Eagles are in the excellent Ovoid. And I'm going to be rooting for them tomorrow, too. I grew up with the Lions. I have no feelings on anything involving the Ovoid. The Bears. Oh, I'm sorry uh, for both of you. Packers. <laughs> I'm a dirt cheese head. All right, so let's move on to some actual questions. Um, so we have some questions here that we're going to be answering, but feel free in the text chat to throw out any question you want. We'll probably answer it. Um, but these questions are just kind of like standbys that we can talk about while we're waiting for people to give us questions. So uh, we are going to start with, can you fuse Pathfinder and Fate? Yes! Somebody has done it. I am posting a link in the text chat. There is a Pathfinder Accelerated setup that uses a modified version of Fate Accelerated to run a Pathfinder game where they use both approaches and capabilities. Uh, I ran a game using it. It was actually really darn cool. Well, today I learned that. I did not know that existed. It's a great hack, where basically you have the standard six approaches, but then you have capabilities that are like arcane, divine, primal, roguish, focused, and martial. And you have different ratings in each, and you combine the approach and the capability to get your final results. It was actually really cool. And depending on what uh, number you have in your capability for, like, divine, depends on how you can cast magic. So if you only have, like, one, you can sort of do ritual magic. But if you have, like, a three, you can cast spells on the fly. And you basically just use all the D&D spells as guidelines for a fate action. So, like, Bless is a create advantage, whereas, like, um, like Fireball is a attack. Alrighty. Uh, does anyone else have anything they'd like to add? My eyes glazed over halfway through. <laughs> I don't play either system, so... 
Sorry, buddy. It's great. I love it. Uh, I oh, no, 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 no. I've got nothing against it. I just don't play it, so it's kind of hard for me personally to connect. It's one of my favorite fate hacks. Yeah, things that things that uh, broaden fate can't be bad, so um, I'm game. Yep. I, uh, I, I basically got nothing for that one. Um, oh, maybe that could be the staff game. <laughs> All right, so our next question... Leads right into the next question, which is you know, basically the hack is a, a glorified set of house rules. How many house rules are you going to be willing to read or to play in your game? Well, <laughs> it depends on the system, but I have probably I have a 3.5 house rule document, and I mean document. Like we're talking probably, I think it's probably seven or eight pages long, and it basically completely overhauls the system. So, uh, I just brought up my 5e house rules document is five pages. I've built whole systems from the ground up, so I'm very familiar and comfortable with house rules. In contrast, my, like, Dresden Files Accelerated house rules are a tiny little bullet list. Chibi Amy, bring that question you just asked up again once we get through this, because that's a good question to ask. And one I can answer accurately. Okay. Okay, so uh, just a friendly reminder that this list of questions we have that we're working on, it's basically just filler while we wait for people to ask questions in the text chat. So uh, text chat questions will take priority. Um, so in that case, Chibi Amy asks, how many house rules are too many? When does it become just writing your own game? From experience, oh. when you focus in on one specific mechanic, it's a house rule. When you accidentally go from touching one mechanic to saying, hey, well, this mechanic alters this mechanic alters this mechanic, and you start revising a bunch of stuff, now you're writing your own system. Yeah, at some point it becomes unfair to advertise it as the base system when you've overhauled it significantly. You almost have to advertise it as a homebrew or miscellaneous or something that's that's not the base system because just like when people go into a Star Wars game and there's expectations that there's going to be Jedi, um, sometimes, you know, if they're going into a D&D 3.5 game, they're expecting this pretty standard rock-hard fantasy, and uh, you might not get that. And I've currently got a very complicated Excel document on my... Google Drive that is a, well, it started as house rules and it turned into system creation. So, I mean, yeah, I basically agree with everything that's already been said. It's, if you start going to the point where you're modifying the entire system, it's a new game. I, I don't know if I have a hard and fast, it, if you can't, if you're referencing your house rules document more than the actual rules, then you're probably into homebrew. That's a good question. All right, so our next question is from Maru Amoriani. Uh, Maru says, I often run into the issue of running an ad and having three to five stellar applications in the first three or four days. Should I just end the ad at that point or let the ad run its course in the hopes of getting more good ones? I never... Well, okay, I take that back. I have only cut off applications early once and only because... I didn't, I wasn't actually like judging applications because I was just picking people more or less at random for the game. 
But otherwise, I never cut off applications early because you're always going to get that last minute application that's absolutely awesome. And if you cut it off early, you're missing out on the opportunity. Yeah, I'm the same. It just generally, first come, first serve tends to be a disservice to the game. Now, I mean, it's pretty fair to start planning a couple of preliminary things around those good apps. But yeah, I've never cut things off early. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree. Uh, and I've been that player who's brought in a stellar app like right at the wire. Uh, sometimes, sometimes people just need time to percolate ideas and they're, they're going to base their activities off of having that time. If I'm looking at it and you don't need an app for three weeks and I've got a busy two weeks, I'm still got the game in mind and I'm going to put something together that last week. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, so our next question is from Chibi Amy, who wants to know, if you have a heavily modified game, like you have a lot of house rules, do you advertise as homebrew or the base system? I, it depends on how many house rules, but I would lean towards homebrew. Uh, um, going back to the comment about if you're referencing the homebrew document more than the main rule set, if you're Looking at the home rules more, I'd advertise it as homebrew. I don't know. I might go under the, I might go under the base system with a really clear indicator that this is heavily house ruled, just because I think you might get more applicants. It depends on the system. Like if it's three point five, I know three point five will people will turn out in droves for three point five. So if you put it as homebrew and it's a modified 3.5 game, you probably won't get as many applications as you would for a straight 3.5 game. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever run a game that heavily modified. Well, here's another good one from Maru Moriani. Wow, that's a tongue twister. Um, when picking party members, is character story or party mechanics more important? Character story. I think it depends on the system. It also depends on the style of game you're running. Uh, I tend to run very character-heavy games and mechanics come second, so I would answer that with the what comes first in your particular game. That's going to drive what uh, the best way is to build a character. I would say 99% of my games, I'm much more interested in picking good characters than I am in picking a mechanically cohesive party. Being in Nathan's Pond game, I can say that is a 100% accurate statement. Yeah, I guess I probably go story mechanics first, but... Nathan put two Inquisitors in a party. I mean, they were good characters, so... (laughs) Is is that bad? I mean, mechanics-wise, they're not the most combat-effective, I would say. Well, you know what I would say? It's a lot easier to change the mechanics of a character than it is the story. So yeah, I would totally go story, and then maybe suggest better mechanics. Nah, the mechanics are good. (laughs) It's karma for that uh, rubric that Nathan likes to use. It's my favorite. Okay, I found a question I want to answer. What is our favorite board game? I don't remember the name of it. Um, God, it it depends on what you classify as a board game. Is it not a role-playing game that you play on a tabletop? Yes, but it also could theoretically be classified as a collectible card game. Magic? No, it's not magic, actually. Oh, because I love me some magic. Uh, uh, it would be Ascension. Oh, that's a good game. I think for me, it's probably, as I walk over to my big board game shelf, for me, it's probably a toss-up between Arkham Horror or Betrayal House on the Hill. 
You know, every time I see those games on the shelf, I look at them and I'm like, man, these look really cool. And then I just don't buy them and I don't know why. So Arkham Horror is a co-op game and it's got a big board. It's got a lot of little fiddly bits. And you actually have little character sheets that you can slide your stats up and down on. Uh, my wife is a huge fan of co-op board games and actually so am I. And so it's one of the few games we love really playing together. And it's a game I bust out every time the tabletop group doesn't have enough people uh, because it's almost like an RPG and it's fun and it's challenging and you're always fighting against the board and we lose probably about as often as we like win, but it's great. And then Betrayal at House in the Hill is just super fun too. You all have a character and you're exploring this old haunted mansion and you lay the tiles for the house out one at a time. So it's never the same each time. And eventually the haunt is triggered and one of the players becomes a betrayer. And oh my god, my wife takes so much joy in being the betrayer. <laughs> yeah, along that same vein, um, whenever we have an opportunity to play it, um, oh man, why am I blanking on the name right now? Um, god, I'm gonna have to come back to it once I find the name. Uh, but there's, <sighs> there's, a, there's a, uh, a role-based, uh, uh, game that we'll always play, which is great where you've got a bunch of engineers getting together for a game at lunch and they're really trying to overthink uh, who's the spy and and who are true members of the resistance. Hopefully that's enough to trigger someone else to remember what the game name is. Is it Shadows Over Camelot? Uh, no, that would be the fantasy-themed version of the original. Mm. I will oh. say, just recently I did play Time Stories, and oh. that is one of the coolest board games I have ever played. It's a cooperative board game where you and your partners are going back in time to fix a problem or solve a puzzle or whatever it is. And you, the game expects you to fail on the first time through, but you take the knowledge you learned from the first time through and use it to do better the next time. Because it's time travel, right? So you go back in time, you learn what happens, and you fail, and then you go back again and you know what's going to happen so you know what to prioritize. It's oh, that's really cool. cool. Oh, a card game I really like is uh, we play a lot of noisy person cards, which is basically kind of like Cards Against Humanity for uh, role players. So everybody gets dealt all these phrase cards, and you lay down a character, and everybody has to say their phrase like the character. It's by another gaming podcast I cannot remember at the moment. Oh, it's the One Shot Podcast? Thank you, Jimmy. All right. Uh, Colin, what is your favorite board game? I would go with, well, I do like, just to jump on with what Ruben was saying, I love Betrayal. Especially because every time the haunt gets triggered, it seems to be one of those everyone for themselves, and while we get to see what everyone would do to everyone else just to win. But for something that's lesser known, there's a game called Sheriff of Nottingham. It's oh, I cool. love that game. <laughs> and oh man, of course, Sheriff of Nottingham is a lot of fun. Okay, not as rare as I thought. So that one is more card-based. You've got all these goods that everyone has to get to market, and everyone takes a turn being the sheriff, and you have to figure out, are they really taking the goods that they say they are, or are they trying to smuggle in other goods or contraband? So it's a lot of lying to each other. I am so terrible at that game. <laughs> I am and disturbingly good at that game. 
And, and now I remember what the name of the other game is and smacking my head in stupidity. It's called The Resistance. Oh! <laughs> oh, I also, uh, I really, really love playing, uh, Carcassonne. Actually, I even got my father-in-law to play Carcassonne and he loved it. I've never is actually that played that. Castle building game? It's like a tile laying game where you build like a French countryside with roads and cities and all that. Uh, yeah, evidently I'm actually really good at teaching board games because I really don't care if I win and I help all the other players win. Note to self, and play with you. If you're new, yeah. Uh, I also really love Dead of Winter. We play Dead of Winter as a completely co-op game without the Betrayer. Dead of Winter is this kind of zombie survival board game where you all have characters and you go and explore places and stuff like that. Okay, I hate to cut us off because I know everybody loves board games, but if we if we don't cut us off... Uh, we're going to talk about this all night, so um, let's get let's get to the rest of these questions taken care of. I'd like oh. to point out, Nathan, we had a half hour discussion once during question and answer about cheese. So, <laughs> and you, you know, know, talking I, about board games all night isn't the worst we've done. True. Okay, we're not talking um, about whiskey. <laughs> Okay, so next question is, would you be willing to take on an apprentice game master? In a heartbeat. No, just because I know myself. Yeah, I could totally do that. I, I think it would be a lot of fun, actually. Myself with two others unintentionally took advantage of the inexperience. For those Wait, are you talking as a player or as a head GM overseeing the actions of the apprentice? Oh yes, good point of clarification. Because I met the form, the the latter. I I could definitely teach someone uh, just because I've had a lot of experience, not just in um, gaming, but also in teaching separately. And so I'm pretty sure I could blend the two of them into something that uh, was cohesive and made sense and 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 help someone get into the hobby. Frankly, I'd love an apprentice GM. The only caution I have is you gotta be careful not to take advantage of these people. You can't just make them, oh, you know, run all my battles for me and I'm gonna control the big overarching plot. They're not your grunt slave. Well, no. <laughs> uh, Maru Omoriani is gonna ask, when you have a mechanically bad, but good story and or theme party, should you adjust encounters to their strengths to a point? Absolutely. 100%. Totally. You should always tailor every challenge to your party. You want to make it difficult, but you don't want to make it impossible. And maybe even include... Actually, if I have a like a good story party, I include more... I guess you'd call them, what, puzzle bosses? Like, uh, like a Zelda boss, where you have to figure out what the win weakness is. Those tend to be really good for, uh, for like story parties. Um, so our next question is from Dwarf Warden. Uh, do you think it would help the number of GMs on the site grow if there were a sort of apprenticeship program for GMs? As in, people apply to help GMs running current games who might feel, uh, burnt out or overloaded. You know, I've seen this idea been kicking around lately on the site, and I'm not 100% sold on it yet. I like the idea, but I don't know how to organize it. Um, huh. It's basically like the GM Rescue Society, except GMs go out there and they say, hey, I have this game, I would love to take someone on to show them the ropes of GMing. Would anyone be interested in doing that? And I just don't know how feasible that is. I don't think there'd be enough use 
to make it a feature when it's something you can kind of do already kind of on your own and just add a GM as a player. I think people who are likely to do this are already likely to do it of their own accord. And therefore, we don't need any sort of specialized, like, code to do it. Okay. Um, we just, we have time for, like, two more questions. So if you have them, put them in chat. But in the meantime, we're going to answer these last couple questions. Um, very, very, very briefly, is there a limit on how many rule books you would allow for a game? No. Yes. For 3.5, yes. For other systems, probably not. Yeah, I, I tend to stick to, I need to have a legal copy of the book. I'm not going to um, bootleg it just to uh, allow you to use some sort of class feature that I haven't read, because if I don't know how to integrate it to the game, it's not going to be a good experience for you or for me. I guess I should have said no, because I don't tend to run systems anymore that have multiple or too many books. All right, and last question uh, again, if there, if there's another one in chat, we'll answer that one as well. But last question for the evening. Um, what's the over under on a dead game? How, so basically, how long would you wait before calling a game officially dead? Would you say like two weeks, a month? What would you say? I'd go with two weeks personally. I treat it the same way I do missing players. I'd give it a month. And game I'd- auto archives at six weeks. That's true. I would give it anywhere from two weeks to a month. It depends. So, like, if a game has been going good for me for a little while, and then all of a sudden it just cuts off for, like, two and a half weeks, I'll be like, okay, what the heck just happened? Eh. So, it depends on the game, too. Like, if it's a game that I'm not enjoying, I'll be more likely to say, oh, it's been a week without any posts. Oh, darn. And get rid of it. I mean, a little bit of this just, like, gut feeling... I mean, you kind of know when a game is dead. Yeah. After you've been on the weave for so long, you kind of get a feel for that sort of thing. Posts are slower and slower and slower, and then the Game Master hasn't logged on for two, three weeks. Yep. Pretty much. All right. So, official last question of the evening. Uh, Maru Amoriani wants to know, when do you re-recruit for a game versus make NPCs to replace dropped party members? I... Say you should re-recruit before you make NPCs. Uh, yeah. Just because you don't want to, you don't want your players to feel like, you don't want them to feel like you're kind of taking over the game from them by making a bunch of NPCs all of a sudden. Like, that should be an absolute last resort, and you should work with your players on it. I'm more likely to, especially if I lose a player, turn that character into an NPC, especially if there's not really a good way to introduce a new player. I I just, I, if a player drops, either the party's down a man or recruit somebody new. I don't like using replacement NPCs. Just takes too much time for me running the game. Yeah, if you're, if you're just uh, writing a novel, write a novel. Otherwise, uh, recruit some people with new ideas different from yours. That's a good, that's a good way to put it. I like that. All right. So thank you, everyone, so much for your questions. It's much appreciated. Uh, we are now going to move on to the end of the show. So before we wrap up for the evening, I would just like to take a moment to remind everyone that this episode of Weaving Myths is made possible by Patreon. We have several tiers of rewards, ranging from us taking your topic suggestions more seriously than non-patrons, all the way up to receiving a free copy of my latest novel. 
So some of our recent episodes are really good examples of what is possible because of our Patreon. So like a couple weeks ago, we did a patrons specific episode where our patrons picked all of the topics in that episode. Um, last week we did our second episode of Lost Minds of Fandelver. On March 10th, we'll be doing episode three of the Lost Minds of Fandelver. Um, the episode for that will be exclusively available for patrons. Um, so anyway, contributions start at as little as $1 per month, so it doesn't take much at all to show your support. The patrons over at Patreon help make this podcast possible, which I've already said in like three different ways, but it's okay. So if you haven't already, I'd encourage you all to check it out at patreon.com slash mythweavers. One last thing I should note, Weaving Myths is, always has been, and will always continue to be free. Full episodes are always uploaded to SoundCloud within two days of the episode being recorded, and all normal episodes will always be available for download or streaming free of charge. So, thank you everyone so much for joining us today. It's been a blast as always, and we appreciate all of the comments and questions from the text chat. I'm Nathan, and I've been joined by the magnificent Colin. Goodbye, everyone. Mordai. So long, and thanks for all the games. And Ruben. Later days. Thanks for listening, and keep on weaving those myths.